thinky, thirsty, and over 30. Welcome to Afternoon Army, a safe place for grown armies to dish and discover BTS. We are four ladies who just wanted to know their names and now can explain the meaning of Lachimolala. New to Army? No problem. Come along as we explore all the important businesses that Bongtan throws our way. Join us on the last Tuesday of every month as we hop in the clown car and drive to the circus. And stay tuned for shorter, snack-sized episodes between hosts and various correspondents. Because one thing we know is that content, well, it just keeps on coming. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. So we are surviving this I don't even know what it's called. Snow, is it a snow apocalypse for you guys? I don't. It's like I don't cold know it's apocalypse. <laughs> cold apocalypse. I don't know what it is. Polar vortex. Polar vortex. <laughs> um, oh. I would say let's go around and talk about what the temperature was today in your hometown, but I I'm gonna I'm gonna skip because I live in California. But Allison, what was the temperature today where you are? Um. Well, when I woke up, it was negative twenty one, and I'm looking to see what it is right now. It's negative fifteen. The high, the high today was negative four. That's what we got to. So, ah, okay, balmy, just balmy. sweet. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a few hours south of Allison, and so our current low right now is it's nighttime is negative four, but our as Allison knows our um, wind chill prediction for tomorrow is negative forty for us and negative fifty for Allison is the worst prediction. There's a range, but I don't know if I've ever experienced that before. So I'm just looking at something new. I know I never have. For right? A fact. I no. know that I never have. So. Yeah. No. I, I've lived yeah. here 17 years. I grew up in Connecticut. I have never experienced this before. This is rough. Yeah. Seeing the reports, <sighs> like, i dumbfounded. You guys sent pictures in the group chat, and I was like, oh, we're like, <laughs> stupid Californians are like, oh, my God so beautiful and you guys are like shut up (laughs) we put bird seed out on the front porch because it's like a covered front porch and there's all all day long there were all these birds and squirrels huddling in the food trays just filling themselves with food desperately it's very sad it's so sad Oh. I guess a segue would be that it's a good time to stay inside and watch the BTS documentary. It is. <laughs> it, is. it is a good time. Um, and so that's what we're doing today. We're discussing the docuseries BTS Monuments Behind the Star. And we'd like to start off by saying that we understand there is an army call out to boycott all Disney and Disney related material. And we honor and understand that. There are multiple links available to watch this on other platforms um other than disney plus and we will happily provide those in the show notes so if you haven't seen this because you are um in doing the boycott we understand and that we will share those links that we are not supposed to talk about links (laughs) i'm doing little air quotes with the links um so you can enjoy the documentary um as well and if we decide for um, some reason that we can't put them in the show notes, then just DM us on Instagram yes, and we will share them with you. Yeah. Um, and the, if we can't share them in the show notes, but we are able to probably put them in our stories. As That's like, true. Oh, yeah. check. We'll just say check here and do that. Yes. Um, so we'll figure that out. Um, so to start, BTS Monuments 
Behind the Star is an eight-part docuseries that follows the band from debut to the present. Um, and this is what I took from the Disney Plus site. Featuring never-before-seen never interviews, performances, and behind-the-scenes monument, moments excuse me, with RM, Jin, Suga, J-Hope, Jimin, V, and Jungkook, BTS Monuments Beyond the Star will take audiences on an in-depth journey across the band's 10-year career, highlighting their highs and lows for the first time ever in a captivating docuseries format. Also featuring appearances from Hive Chairman, Bang PD, and Beyond the Story, 10-year record of BTS author Kang Myung-suk. BTS Moments Beyond the Star looks back on the band's key moments over the years. The documentary opens with RM saying, we're making a comeback, and it's February 2020. We see cuts of the On Kinetic Manifesto video, Carpool Karaoke, talk show appearances, and the announcement of the MOTS tour. Then we see it all crash as the pandemic shuts down the world and MOTS is canceled. Jungkook says, we are all very sad, but something good, we, excuse me, we were all very sad, but something good still came out of all the bad. As we are considered pandemic army, how did this strike you? I think it was devastating to see it happen in real time for them of everything that they've been working towards. And then so they started with that and then they go back to the beginning, back to like 2013. And so you see all the work that they put in to get there and you're like, oh, shoot, like that sucks. There's many, many tears on my side and their side throughout the documentary. And that was like the first time that I choked up because I was like, I know what that means now, having read the book and just been in the fandom for so long for them, just who they are as artists and professionals to have to make that decision. And that was tough. Yeah, I don't I didn't even understand until the book and now the series. I think the time it's helping me put the timeline together, both of them are, and understanding too how recently they had had to struggle with the decision of whether to even stay together. And then finally having made that decision <laughs> to then have the brakes put on. And it, uh, it, it reminded me uh, of, I don't think he mentioned this in the documentary itself, but uh, Yunki had talked earlier uh, in an earlier, I, I can't remember where it was sometime within the last year or so about how, when he got the news that the tour had been canceled and that everything was shutting down, he actually went home and cried with his parents and slipped between them for comfort, <laughs> which is so, such a beautiful thing and says so much about him. And that just shows the depths of the despair that he was, he just needed to be comforted by his parents. And uh, yeah, that's it's heavy duty. Wow. How many times did they were how have, have they been on the precipice of something and not knowing what was going to happen? Uh, and they are even now with with enlistment. So how many times have they faced that like abyss in front of them, not knowing whether it was all going to come to nothing or how things would turn out? Hmm. A good life lesson, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's-, that's what struck me through the documentary is just like 
they were just going forward and had a vision and had a plan not to say they were going forward blindly, but they're just sort of like leading the way in so many areas. And we're like, here we go. It's just like, it was really interesting to watch that unfold. Yeah. I felt like they were just on the cusp of their like real success in the West. Not that they don't have it now, but that would have been a major turning point for them, especially with like the Mott's tour and how they were on the journey to get a Grammy, which is something that we talk about a lot. Um, and so that was really knowing what I know now and know it's like almost like knowing what we know now and seeing that happen in real time, like the real devastation on their faces when um, the staff person comes in and tells them that the the tour has been canceled. Um, and, you know, I, the one thing that really stuck out to me and probably cause he's my bias, but like, whatever, no shade or like hate to me, but um, Namjoon says something like, yes, like we're upset, but think about everybody else. Like every, we're all, everybody is suffering right now. He says something to the effect of like, everyone is suffering right now. And I thought that was like such a Namjoon thing to say. Like, I know we're upset, but like, we're not the only ones. Um, and so to me, it was very comforting to know that like even idols had the similar, had a similar reaction to the despair of lockdown and how so many people felt. Um, because to me in my own life, that just felt like such a lonely time for me. Like, am I the only one that feels this way about lockdown? Am I the only one that is like this fearful or like feels this way? And no, I, I really wasn't the only one. Um, and I think what JK was so beautiful and is how I feel about ARMY and like BTS and my place in the fandom because I was very sad. Um, but something beautiful and good came out of that time. And net, here we are now. So like I just that that quote from him just really stood out to me, especially in the beginning, because it was like, you're right. Like it was such a hard time and so many people were sad. But there are so many good things that have come out of it since. So that re- that just really stuck with me. And how much has their fandom grown during, since the pandemic time? I mean, especially in the West, but I'm guessing probably other places too, because I've read stories that, for example, in Korea and other places in Asia, um, and, and this relates to us, the, uh, their numbers of older fans are have been growing exponentially. And I can't put any figures on that, but it's been noted. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting how it kind of opened up this new terrain. I think another thing that jumped out at me about that, their devastation at having the tour canceled and just kind of put putting the timeline together and looking at their history, their early history in these first couple episodes is, first of all, how much concerts mean to them. and And I didn't understand until these episodes how rarely they have had big concerts it's not as much as you would think I mean when I first got involved with them a couple years ago I thought oh they've been on all these world tours and stuff they must have had hundreds of concerts and they haven't I mean I think from 2013 to 2016 wasn't it like their fifth concert or something I I was like their fifth concert like the fourth or fifth yeah by 2016 and then they finally start to like have the wings tour and things like that but even then i think they showed that the wings tour wasn't that or maybe it was red bullet was um it must have been red bullet they weren't on wings yet was 17 concerts so like not dozens and dozens you know so that, that i thought that was really interesting and just how they talked about how much concerts mean to them 
it's kind of the pièce de résistance for them, I think. Yeah. It's just which is neat. It makes being together with them like that so much more special knowing that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So as Allison mentioned, we get to go back to the beginning of BTS and hear from the man himself, Bang PD. And of all the things he said, this is what kind of stuck out to me. This is what he said about the members upon meeting them. Namjoon, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm not like direct quoting him, but about Namjoon, he said, Namjoon had a depth of character and so a solid knowledge base, which I'm assuming he means about music because Namjoon did have a very solid base of like rap because we learned about the den of rap in the book. Yoongi had a dark side to him, which I loved. And Bang PD did say, and it's still my favorite thing about him. And his sarcasm. Um, he, yes. He and talked his, about his sarcasm. Yeah. His, but, that, um, but that he would never use it in a harmful way, which yes. just really describes him so beautifully. Top tier. Like just top, <laughs> top tier. tier. <laughs> um, J-Hope was diligent, sincere, and earnest, which, uh, my heart. Uh, Jin was handsome and was what an idol would like an ideal idol would look like which i think is fantastic jk had so much potential but was too shy at the time to tap into it v had charm and potential and jimin was charming and talented but quote unquote incomplete um and i know not that the listeners know but we know that we've had a discussion on this hot take about pre-debut jimin and what bong pd had to say about him and since but, leah couldn't oh, be here tonight i just have to say yeah. for her that she has very strong feelings about this. She does. I feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, I need her to like record like five minutes of her just like going off about this. But um, unfortunately, I couldn't be here tonight. My question is, is it a testament to Bong PD's management style that he let his established team decide Jimin's fate in the group? I think that goes back to what he talks about like later in the documentary of like, don't lose the joy of music. Like, I think that because he sort of put that back in their hands, he was letting them be connected to the process and the joy of the process. And that's just my interpretation. But because I think that he trusted the team as musicians and was like, okay, you you are the experts in this. Um, so you get to decide. Yeah, I I, I really admire it. Um, he, he called it a hunch. Uh, that he and that he knew that he had been wrong before on some hunches and was willing to trust them and I think that speaks a lot about him uh, and it makes me think that perhaps I don't know that much about him honestly but that perhaps he's been a good role model of that kind of um, humility and introspection perhaps uh, to to them and others there's so many things that go into when you look back on it retrospectively into their success, but one of them has definitely been that he was willing to venture away from the traditional idol model. And even though he was developing an idol group to let them have autonomy, to let them make a lot of their own decisions, um, to trust them, to let them be lead the ways in some respects is, it was really different at the time. And it still is pretty different. I think, I don't think a lot of the other companies still operate that way from what I've heard anyway. Yeah. I like that. He said that he said something like you said, Tony, to the effect that like, I've been wrong before, like I'm not always right. Um, and so he did, he kind of left it up to them. Um, and I think that 
you know, in this documentary, it kind of sheds a little bit of light on his management style. I'm like you, Tanya. I don't know a lot about him. If there's any listeners that want to write a really great biography, that's the guy. Like, I don't know why. I don't know who he has in his corner that hasn't been like, we're going to do a a biography of you because I would be like fascinated by it. I say that all the time about him. He's a fascinating man. But I watched the documentary up to episode six and we're not going to go too far. We're doing like episodes one and two tonight. As you go through the documentary, whether you're watching the first episode or the last episode, um, because it will end on episode eight, the theme or what is repeated often by every member is that there are seven of them and there isn't BTS if one of them isn't there. And that starts very early on. They had this feeling like this was it for them, like we're seven and it's the seven of us. Um, And so I think that they knew, like, I think that they knew who the core group needed to be. They knew all the different moving pieces that needed to come together to make BTS. And that's how the magic got made. And so, yeah, I think it's great that he had this little bit of a hunch about Jimin and he was wrong. Okay. He was wrong, but he did let them decide. So that's good. Nobody puts Jimin in the corner. How dare you say that? Right? about? <laughs> <laughs> let's just let him have it just for a second even though he's great <laughs> incomplete excuse me sir <laughs> no but like honestly like i i think it's great that he trusted them and we have the bts we have today because of it so i almost wonder whether jimin is so seems so i should say seems so um he's just so deferential and humble and unassuming that I wonder whether Bong PD didn't know if he'd have quite the stage presence and charisma until until he finally had a chance to build up some of that confidence, I wonder. Yeah. He didn't really articulate it. So he like he said, it was a hunch. It is interesting yeah. though. It's hard so hard to imagine now in retrospect not seeing that in him. There's a part in I think the episode two where Jimin is wearing a sparkly jacket and they're walking to a limo and just the way that he walked I'm like why why don't you act like that all the time Jimin like you are Jimin you do not need to like you like you can be your full ass self anytime and that's the walk that you need to do and I think that that's some like there's a lot of like I mean we don't know Bing PD's head but like there's a lot of maybe that in there of because you know, you think about that Jimin versus the Jimin that made the like metal bracelet, who is just like, am I doing it right? Am I okay? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I want more of this Jimin and this Jimin is sweet, but you don't need to worry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I want, you know, in one little, again, the timeline thing, like connecting the dots of the timeline a little bit more, watching it the second time today before we met, um, Jimin says, you know, that he mentions that at the time of debut, he had only left home a year before. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a, like, is he going to find his, his voice and his style, you know, wouldn't surprise me if that was a little bit of what it was about. He, I can't believe he had only been away from home for about a year at that point. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> with, in, with infant JK next to him, like just mm-hmm. little tiny baby infant JK, not fully grown. Oh my yeah. gosh, the graduation uh, entrance ceremony and everything, seeing that footage. Oh okay, but like, 
and this is a little bit of a tangent, but like real quick, mm-hmm. because I'll yeah. forget to say it. Someone on Instagram, I got like a can't remember what it was, like a meme or a reel, I don't remember. But it was to the effect of it was pictures and it was them at his entrance ceremony. It was at his graduation and it was at enlistment. And I was like, you can't do this to me. I am not emotionally stable for you to show me this right now. Please stop. Like, I can't do it. But it's It's, true. It's the family thing, just like Yugi said. Yeah. Like, there's no other word for it. There's also that clip, if I find it, I'll share it. But like, there's that clip of them at his high school entrance ceremony, and Yungi is so excited for him and like taking pictures. Oh my God, it's so cute. And then in the part of the documentary, a little bit of spoiler, but not too bad, when they're at his entrance ceremony, and Namjoon is like being such a dad. He's like, go talk to your friends. Go, go talk to your friends. And he's like, JK turns around like, no, I'm not going to put myself out there. Even Taehyung looks like, at the camera no, and he's no. like, he's not talking to his classmates. It's yeah, he's so like, they're like, he's not talking to anybody. Oh my gosh, it's like too much. But like, you forget that like, he just grew up, right? Like he, he's the person he is today because of all those experiences, which is like fascinating. And you get a sense of like, they really did raise him like yeah Yeah. which of course we know just through all the things that we've consumed bts related but like this documentary it's just like oh yeah yeah it (laughs) points it it out it really does point it out yeah that that scene of them at the entrance ceremony really drove it home for me it's just Mm -hmm. so so you could just really feel it They were just so excited for him and just like, oh, it's just heartbreaking. They were watching their little birdie leave the nest. It was so cute. And his little yellow, like, school jacket. A little canary leaving the nest. I know. Okay, so in the first episode, we see their pre-debut prep. Very little rest and sleep, endless dance practice, diets. We see them struggle with it personally and as a group. Knowing what we know now, How much of this training do you feel set them up for their lasting careers and solo work, considering we're still getting content dropped as they are enlisted? This was hard in the book and it was hard to watch here, just like how exhausted they were and trying to sort of put that in context of what they knowingly signed up for, of like being trainees, like this is not I'm assuming I'm making assumptions, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that trainee life is not a completely foreign concept to people when they go to a company and say, I want to do this. Like, I feel like there's some understanding of it, but it's still hard to watch them be like, we were starving. We were getting no sleep. We were working our that's off we were trying to write lyrics like in a country we've never been in before that we don't speak the language like it was hard and I also think just like I think about how they reframe things all the time and that stood out to me in the documentary as well because they're like when we talked about this just in the beginning of the episode of we're here because of all these experiences. We wouldn't be here if we hadn't gone through these. And I think that you see that shift in how they talk about it too throughout the first episode of the documentary of like, you know, we were burnt out and this happened and now, you know, we did this. Um, So I think 
while it hurts to watch just because I want to put them in a bubble and I want to protect them, like, I think that they are incredibly resilient and resourceful and intelligent. Um, And so getting to see them get through that is like, okay, you made it. Like, look at, look at where you are now. It, it, it was hard to see, even just that little bit. I mean, it's only a half, half an hour each episode and even just seeing that little bit and having read the book and seeing other things um, from their past, it is so hard to see how hard they worked and to know how close they came to breaking up, to know that after only a few years, they were already experiencing severe creative and professional and even physical and mental burnout um, at that young age is hard to digest and the fact that they barely held on together, Yungi kind of intimated at least that it was only because nobody wanted to pull the trigger and be the bad guy, right? <laughs> That's basically what he said. Uh, it just, it, it just, I feel grateful to them for being willing to go through so much. And I know they were doing it because they were driven by their own dreams too, but they also didn't want to disappoint their fans. Uh, I, I think it's kind of a miracle that they're still here and it's just a testament to how remarkable they are and also that they have such a great staff and um, producer. Yeah, it just got me thinking, you know, watching them pre-debut and how hard they worked and like the stress of that, you know, because it was the stress of all the things together, plus being away from home, being young. I thought of it in the sense of the content that we're still getting. Um, you know, we just got new magazine covers. Um, we got another sneak peek into what Yungi was doing with Valentino. And I think about the pre-debut and then I think about that time that they utilized between Festa 2022 and Enlistment. And it had to be like doing pre-debut all over again. I'm speculating. I don't know for sure. But in order to get the content that we've got, since FESTA 2022, there had to be some serious work put in. And that's what those clips reminded me of, those pre-debut clips of them just working so incredibly hard, sweating. There's like a a glimpse in a dance practice where they hit their last mark and then they all, all of them fall. Like they all just fall in different parts, like done, panting, like exotic. Like we see clips of them sleeping wherever they are makeup artists doing their makeup while they're sleeping. So like, it just, that's what really stuck out to me. It was like, okay, they worked so hard pre-debut and how did that carry them through this 10 year career on into the, these solos that they've done, not saying they're having like separate solo careers, but these, the solo work that they've put in um, that. And then the forethought to still have readily available content for us as they are list, enlisted in the military. It it just like blew me away, 100%. I feel like that, like you said, that brings up interesting, like what they've done since FESTA to now to prepare for them leaving. I just wonder how much more they feel in control now of the decisions and of their time, like with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more understanding of just the industry itself, like the fashion industry, the music industry. And I think that's what stood out to me. One of the many things is why I was watching the first couple episodes of the documentary is that transition from 2013 BTS, V, Yoongi, RM to grown ass CEO Yoongi sitting on that blue like couch. I was like, okay, whatever happened 
praise Jimin because every single one of them came into that interview with like some major like energy and I was here for it loved that for them <laughs> I feel like any excuse for Taehyung to show up in a suit is like a good day like I just love that he is always like Everyone else is like, hey, we're having dance practice. And he's like, awesome. Let me get my suit. Like, I love that about him. <laughs> <laughs> On a velvet sofa, of course. <laughs> With the poshest surroundings. He's amazing. Uh, I guess my last thought about this is just that uh, they are so seasoned now. And all that, all of that hardship went into it, like you both said. Um, and it also, I keep coming back to that moment in the documentary where Bang PD says, you know, again, they're at this precipice, like we, they've just had um, six months of their first big successes in the United States in the West. Um, and most companies and even artists would say we have to push forward even harder now to capitalize on that. And he basically said, I want to do something. I don't think he used this word, but to my mind, radically that's kind of radical, which is to think about happiness instead. So that basically all for all intents and purposes, so you don't end up like the people on Behind the Music, <laughs> referring to the TV show in the United States that a lot of us have seen where it's always the same plot because it's some amazing artist that ends up, you know, abusing drugs or having some kind of terrible downfall. Uh, so let's not do that. <laughs> and I, I was so, that that right there, If even if I didn't know anything else about Bang PD, that right there endeared him to me more than I can express. And so connecting that now to the topic of the solo era that we're in right now it makes me think is this this seems like it's probably an extension of that you know figuring out what makes you happy getting to satisfy your own yearnings uh fulfill some of your personal dreams figure out who you are when you're not with the group even though you're always a part of the group, those kinds of things seems like a really important stage for them. So I'm really glad that they took advantage of it. Close to the end of this first episode, we get a peek at an event where the members wrote letters to ARMY. Their re the relationship between BTS and ARMY runs deep. What makes ARMY so different from other fans? And do you have any thoughts on that, on the relationship between BTS and ARMY? That's very proud of army like throughout the documentary of the ways that they showed up like i don't remember what was it the billboard there's some music award the billboards and then the amas too the amas mm -hmm. i think when like that army was, the big was one. behind them and they were just like yelling and they were just so delighted that army was there i was like yay like thank you army for for showing up in all the ways that they do appropriately we don't <laughs> We want to be respectful of them at all times. Um, so that stood out to me. Um, but I don't like Megan and I, we pass reels back and forth about 17 all the time, but I'm not in that fandom. So I don't like, I don't know any other fandom. I don't know how any other thing like this works. Like I like music. I was a big new kids on the block fan. But I never, to this extent, like, you know, and so I just, I don't have an answer for that, like what it is, because this is all I know. I, I had a thought about it, and I don't think it's the whole picture. And we've talked about other parts of the picture before, and other armies have observed a lot of these things about what makes it special. And the documentary really focused on 
the, um, you know, the vulnerability, you know, the members being willing to be vulnerable and recognize what their fans at the time, the army whose armies who got them through that first few years, what they had been through with the pain that they suffered when BTS was constantly being attacked and all the struggles to be noticed and to get airtime and all those things. And I'm sure there was even more than that. But another thing that struck me about it that I have, I don't think I've heard discussed as much is I think that there's a strong, that gender plays a big part in it. And and of course, gender, I think most K-pop fans, I'm just saying majority are, are probably women for any group, right? For, for any idol group. Uh, male idol group maybe even female idol group I'm not sure <laughs> um, but there's something unique about that relationship between the men in BTS and the majority of ARMY being women I think it's like and it plays it, it's connected somehow and my thoughts on this are not fully formed so maybe I'll express it better at another time but them being able to be so vulnerable them trusting their fans them being partially you know the original it when back in their early debut days three of them being having their roots so strongly in hip-hop which is tends to be so male dominated but still believing in their fans so much being willing to be so vulnerable with them and kind of like meeting them halfway and it makes me think about just how women are in general and, and i shouldn't generalize about gender but you know what i mean like fe- fe- people who are feminine femininity i should say no matter who is expressing it that is so powerful and it's like uh, the way i think of it is that if for people who are expressing masculinity so i'll just say to make it easier i'll just say men and women even though it's so so much more fluid than that if men will meet women halfway and be good to them women will do anything you know for their families for the men in their lives for their children for anyone um and i think that what you're part of what we're seeing here is a very powerful force that comes from when there's men that you can trust, even though they're not in your actual personal life, when they are willing to learn and to be good to women most of the time and to learn how to be good to women, when they express that, when they don't degrade their fans and when they value them, even though they are women and they're hip hop artists um, and think that their fans are just as important as any male fans, then there's something special that happens with that because women, women will then lift you up. Uh, and I'm I'm probably not expressing it very well, but there's some kind of idea that I'm just circling around there. I don't know if it makes sense. No, it makes total sense because the amount of men that don't meet women halfway is a large amount. Like it's yes. <laughs> a huge percentage. Right. Um, and so I think that there's a lot to that. Um, I have heard of people refer to BTS as their safe space. Um, as far as like expression goes, however they express themselves. I just, because it was so early in their career and they were already teary eyed for army, which is one of my favorite things about them. Um, which if you try to say that to someone who's like not in the K-pop, pop like sphere they go they're crying over their fans like that's weird but it's not it's like it happens I mean I think it's a really beautiful thing but like what Allison was saying about like the AMAs um the American Music Awards and Billboard I have so much love and respect for the armies that got them to the timeline in which I exist in this fandom and I don't know that I will ever shut up about that because without them 
I wouldn't be able to be a fan. Like without them helping BTS get to that next level with that success, whether it was streaming projects, going to events, you know, watching YouTube, all of those things, they would not have got into the sphere of where I was, like where I existed. Um, I just don't know that that's true. Like, I just don't know that that would have happened. So what really stuck out for me when I watched it was that from the very beginning, BTS had a really good sense of the fans and that the fans are getting them to the next level. And they, throughout the documentary, no matter what episode you're on, they continue to say that. They continue to express their gratitude for their fans. And I just think that it's a really interesting and fascinating relationship, but I have a lot of respect for it. And I'm happily... I'm very happy to be here um, because, you know, it's a fandom that not only works for the success of BTS, but it's a fandom that works for the success of ARMY. Um, And we see that in real time, whether it's, you know, streaming projects and like YouTube video watching and all of that for BTS and their solo projects. We also see it when like armies have their own shops and create their own merchandise and We support that as well. We support writers and um, content creators and things that are coming into the fandom or have been in the fandom. And ARMY also supports those individuals as well. It's like ARMY supporting ARMY and ARMY also supporting BTS. And I just think that's what I really love about the fandom. I think it's just a really beautiful relationship that we continue to do this. Like we continue to have this kind of fandom. It can be, it can be a very loving and honored community and we should try to keep it that way if you're listening just a hot take as we close the first episode we see them like as they're gonna rise to the top and they're just about to do that or they are in the middle of doing that with the most beautiful moment in life part one this was a softer concept for them as a group um, and it led to a way of a more personal and emotional storytelling Does it surprise you in any way that this new concept kind of paved the way for the BTS we know and love today? It does not surprise me at all. And I think probably when you pair that with Tanya's insights about just like the fandom and why that relationship is so special, there's probably something there. So I'm not surprised that this is like where things started to happen. I, I think that's the moment where, I mean, they they were always, I think they were well regarded and, and lauded for their social commentary in the beginning. And that's important. And I love that about them. And I love that about their a lot of their early work. Um, but this is where they start to be like, and this is why we love K-dramas, right? It's a, it, it's a healing space now. It's become a healing space where, um, we can show vulnerability and heal together. And I think it's really interesting. And I don't, it probably wasn't at the time, but I don't know that Hybe's motto, if you look at it, their little motto on their logo is something like um, music and artists for healing. And so I think they've kind of grown into this through BTS and seen how powerful it is. And it, like you said, Allison, it keeps going back to to women and queer folk and just people who could use a lot of healing in this patriarchal world of ours, <laughs> right? And so I'm not surprised at all that that shift to that kind of storytelling and that kind of emotional content um, really drew people in. 
I guess because I'm a visual learner, I just didn't realize what a line in the sand that was. I remember reading about it in the book, but to actually see it, because you see them go from like this very like hip hop styled um, like look to this very like brightly, not even brightly cover colored. It's just like a softer color, softer hairstyles, um, a little bit more of like a, I want to say casual look, but just, I guess, softer. Um, and not like that's just for lack of a better word. It was just so eye opening to me because I knew about it. But to see it happening, you're like, oh, this is where the tide really turned. And this is how we get the storytelling and the relatable music and the like love and everything that we have today. This is how we got it. It started here. And then that's the success just is building from there. And it, it wasn't it in one of the previous BTS documentaries um, where Jimin talked about how it was, I think it was around this time that he felt that he was finally able to express himself, you know, as, as not a completely, not, not being hyper-masculine basically and how important and healing that was for him and how hard it had been for him not to be able to do that before. So we see them, I think, finally starting to show themselves more too. And the softness, like there's just more gender fluidity in the wardrobe and expression and everything. Uh, it's just more since more, uh, just more real. <laughs> yeah. And it's which real- makes me, oh, sorry, Megan, no, which makes like- me think of, I don't even remember where this is from, but V's quote of, like they have to give up so much of who they are for the group. And so then when you look at these, you know, moments in like this album and you see those different facets like come out, it's like, oh, this is like them incorporating other pieces and them still working for the group, but they're not having to, you know, wear those gold chains and have the spiky hair. And, you know, like they got to have different pieces because, you know, I don't see V <laughs> choosing to do that just, you know, on his day off. <laughs> so, Okay. So moving on to episode two, it opens with BTS moving into larger arenas for their concerts. And we see we start to see their concert success, which Tanya kind of talked about in the beginning, how surprising it was that they, you know, hadn't done multiple world tours, that their touring was really like, it wasn't that they weren't touring, but they had limited amount of shows. So the tour that they went on would have like anywhere from like Tanya said 17. So let's say like 10 to 17 stops, but watching them in these arenas and watching as it builds success, they talk about how many, you know, First concert had this many people. Second concert had this many people in attendance and building from there. Do you have any thoughts about how we see them, their performance at the Olympic arena, which was in their mind, like the greatest success only to end chapter one in Busan? Do you mean like the kind of the full circle feeling of it? Yeah. Just kind of like that that they uh ended up. I know it's, it's kind of nice actually. It's like, uh, it is a full circle kind of thing, like a coming home kind of thing. Uh, because they they did step out on the world stage so strongly and and it, it and also their ability because of the pandemic to perform in Korea had been so limited it must have felt so good to be able to bring bring that back home again yeah but share share with us what were your thoughts about it Megan well i mm-hmm. just was thinking you know we get this at 
like you said, Tony, the episodes are only like a half an hour long. So we do spend a lot of this episode talking about their perform their concerts that they're holding at these different arenas in Korea and how everything, every time they do one, um, they have a bigger attendance. And every time they have a bigger attendance, they're shocked by that. Like, oh, we sold this out. Oh, we were able to do this. You see um, them when they hear like the fans, like they hear the chanting and the screaming and they're like, whoa, like that's really loud. How many people are here? And they just, they're at a point where they are very shocked by, not shocked by their success, but they're shocked that people are continuing to show up for them. And so there is this moment where they, um, and I can't remember who it was. It was either Jin or J-Hope, I think. Maybe you guys will remember. Where they, basically the, the sentiment was, Olympic Arena was like it for us. Like if we could fill Olympic Arena, we made it. And it just really struck me that like in that moment in time, they were like, if we can fill this arena, we're good. Like we made it only to know that they did this huge concert in Busan where they literally had to have a separate area for more people for overflow and that it was broadcast around the world. Not well, but it was broadcast around the world. So to me, that was just like, I'm the type of person that looks at like that saw that and went, oh my gosh, you little babies had no idea. Like you just. And nobody in the no industry idea. had any idea. Everything right. about them is so unprecedented. And, uh, and it just showed like, and they talked, I think in the second episode too, about how, like Jin said about how the fame was so unexpected and got so big and it was so hard to handle. I'm not surprised yeah. that they really struggled to stay together and stay, stay in it. It got way too big, way too fast. It must've been shocking for everyone, even just watching them in Korea to see what was happening. Yeah. There's like a clip. I think it's V he's walking and he's like, this place is really big. Did we sell this place out? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, uh, hello. <laughs> so, I and I remember standing me, in Allegiant Stadium with all of you thinking this is the big, biggest stadium I've ever been in in my life. Yeah. And, so it's it was, like, yeah. yeah. And, and then only to, and I wrote this not in like my regular notes, but on my handwritten notes that it also struck me because recently, just in the last few days, we have gotten this clip of, of JK in Times Square where he's looking out the window at the people gathered for his free concert. And he's like, Oh, now I'm nervous. Like he didn't expect that crowd to show up for him. And to me, that just seeing the documentary and like knowing what I know, I just can't get over it. I'm like, baby boo, do you not realize you're famous? Like, And this goes back to your shout out you? to ARMY too. ARMY showed up that day yeah. with no formal announcement. They Nothing. just figured it out and showed up yeah. on trust yeah, <laughs> with their like, ARMY bombs. Yeah, yeah someone... Some smart army was like, okay, he's performing on the Today Show. And all of a sudden, there is this stage being built. It's got to be him. Then they put the word out. And army's like, maybe it's him. Maybe it's not. We're showing up anyways. With their army bombs and their posters. And their... Again, what other fandom? I don't know of another. I mean, I'm sure there's other K-pop fandoms that do this. But like. To me, as a from a Western lens, that is so like crazy to me. Although if I was close, I mean, I would have tried. Don't get me wrong; like I would have been. I like, would have. We're going. I would have too. <laughs> right? It must have yeah. felt like the early days again. It must have felt like that. Yeah. Like just just so, being so amazed that people were showing up like that. Right, and I 
so that's the part that really stuck out for me with this question and why I like wanted to talk about it because it's like so fascinating to me that still, even now, I mean, even, even over a year ago, J-Hope at at Lollapalooza is singing lyrics. And then there's like, I'm going to take a step back and let ARMY sing it. And they did. And the look on his face, he's shocked because he cannot believe that there are enough people in that audience that know those lyrics and they could be that loud. And it's like, Boo Bear, don't you know how famous you are? Like, I cannot, who needs to, do you need me to call you every day and be like, you're the one of the most famous people on earth? Who is not telling you? Like, I just don't understand. They they only seem to be getting it from watching each other go out and accomplish all these things. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he we just saw recently in one of the, some of the recent content about how J-Hope's looking at Yungi going, you toured. You toured, and you can see the little bubble over his head going, I'm next. (laughs) I didn't realize I could do that, but now I do. (laughs) And what makes me laugh so much about that is I, I like, I don't know if they like included this or if he said it, but I feel like the vibe of Yoongi would be like, what? Like, it's hard. Of course I toured. Like, what? Like, it's hard. Like, I just, like, he's such that vibe sometimes. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like what Allison calls the humble, the Yungi humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we see their appearance, uh, their 2017 appearance at the Billboard Music Awards. And they are greeted by so many ARMY, which was fantastic, but also by the press. What are your thoughts on the Western press referring to them as a boy band? Do you think that referring to them as an idol group would have changed Western perceptions? I don't think Westerners would know what an idol group is like and that may just be my very small corner of the world so i think that would have confused people and then they wouldn't have engaged as much um but i don't love the term boy band for them like it makes me bristle um every time i hear it and i just like you don't like when I hear that from people, I'm like, oh, you just don't understand. Like I try not to to get <laughs> very fighty about it because I can get pretty angry. Um, so I'm just like, it's okay. They don't understand. They don't understand what it is. Um, but I don't know if there is a way to encapsulate what they are. And so I think that then if there's no box to put it in, people put it in the most convenient box that they have or the one that like fits the most ish and I think that boy band fits the most ish even though it doesn't yeah the idol group seems to be like an English k-pop terminology so I think Allison's right that it probably wouldn't have uh it probably would have been confusing to the audiences but I agree I don't I don't like the term boy band for a lot of reasons I think it's kind of limiting they're proud to be idols they have songs about it right so I'm not minimizing that it's the it's the western boy band concept and and not that I'm minimizing those groups either they're they can be so much fun and and very talented um but it is minimizing especially with the level of of musical talent and range that BTS has and I think also when you're talking about Asian men in the West, there's always that that racist tendency of the dominant culture to want to emasculate them. And the boy thing bugs me even more in that regard. So yeah, I really wish, as so often is the case, that the reporters had more um, cultural literacy. <laughs> 
and would think about these kinds of things uh, and care about these kinds of things more, uh, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, I just, it, I hadn't thought about it before. And then when I was rewatching, I really thought about it as they're going through this press tour and as they're introducing them, like the boy band from Korea, the boy band from Korea. And for me, at that point in time in 2017, probably between anywhere between like the early 2000s or like 2005 all the way to 2017, 2018, I just really had it with boy bands because in the West, boy bands are usually curated. You know, they pick a bunch of kids, put them together, kids, men, put them together or females. And it's like not fake, but it's just like a curated group. I I mean, there've been a lot of behind the scenes on these nineties, like boy bands and I've watched them all. And, you know, so at that point in my life, I probably would, and I did, they're like, Oh, it's a boy band from Korea. And I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Boy band from Korea. But I, in a way I wish that they would have said it's a Korean idol group or an idol group from Korea because my hope or my maybe I'm naive about it but I would hope that like western media would have explained that a little bit better like oh we're getting this idol group from Korea what does that mean how does that fit into our you know uh music in the west like what does that look like what do they do and just maybe like gone down that rabbit hole I mean I feel like I would have if I would have heard like idol group from Korea I would have been like well what's an idol group what does that mean how how does this fit in um, and maybe that's just me personally because of the way I feel about music. But I agree with you guys. I don't love the boy band moniker. Um, and it does, br like Allison said, make me bristle because I just don't, I think it's an unfair, like, name for them. Like, it feels unfair to refer them to that, at, to refer to them as a boy band because they just do so much more. Um, in my personal opinion, and I feel like idol is the appropriate title. And that's like how I would love for them to be referred to as we go on. Even if they had just called them a group, it would have been better. <laughs> just a group, yeah. you know, a music group, a performance group. group. From Korea. I, I remember when group. I, yeah, when I first started getting into K-pop, I was so curious about it. And I read some articles about it that were interesting, um, especially articles by uh, Asian uh, journalists or journalists of Asian extraction in the West um, talking about how little understanding there is of idol groups in the West and what they're about. And I think one of them said that, and, and I'm sure there's no accurate, you know, perfect term that anyone would agree on, that everyone would agree on, but they said it might be more accurate to call them vocal performance groups because the 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 special sauce is of course that they are, is the choreography and being able to do the incredible vocals at the same time while you're doing that is so astounding and so what the term they used was vocal performance so that's one anyway yeah it's still kind of ambiguous but any i guess yeah. the bottom line is anything would be better than boy bands <laughs> yeah bottom line they could have tried a little harder <laughs> um okay and just cuz i'm a petty person i admit it i'm super petty um, I just had a laugh that in this episode two, they include none other than Steve Aoki. Um, mm -hmm. And because of the podcast that we discussed, uh, I think in our last episode of how like, oh, what wasn't even a big grab for them to get Steve Aoki and like, what, what was that even about? Well, what it was about is, is that Steve Aoki is filmed in this documentary. 
He is on a um, talk show, music talk show. I don't know which one. Um, and he basically drops that his um, little collab, his little tiny collab um, with BTS mic drop went gold in two weeks. So I just wanted to add that in because I'm a petty person. Just want for the record. Okay. I think it's good to be petty under the circumstances. I'm just saying if he wasn't that big of a deal, why include him in the documentary? Okay. Like if he wasn't, it was just like some little throwaway collab. What's he doing here? I felt like that meme that's like, Ariana, what are you doing here? Because I was like, Steve, what are you doing here? I love it. It was so good. It was so good. And like, yeah, that was, that was great. (laughs) It was so satisfying to watch after we had just had that awful. Okay. And like, shout out to the hype interns, because what if, and this is a major speculation, but what if. Because that podcast dropped before, didn't it drop before those episodes dropped? So what if they were like, hey, can we cut in some Steve Aoki? <laughs> that would have been fantastic. It's something I would have done. I would have done that. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> As we are going through episode two and ending episode two, the cracks start to reveal themselves with the group and the idol facade. RM talks a bit about his anxiety and a struggle with panic. Bung PD suggests they take a break just as they are expanding in the in the West. We see some behind the scenes concert footage of injuries and exhaustion. And Jimin mentions that there was some fighting happening between the members. Um, as emotions build, performing became a struggle. We find that every member is struggling with renewing their contracts or even contemplating quitting. Our wise one named Yoongi says that it was like the moment before a couple breaks up no one wants to be the bad guy so how did you feel about episode two ending on this note and how do you feel it fits in on what was still to come i'm glad i wasn't watching in real time because can you imagine (laughs) like not knowing what's gonna happen and just like being so in love with this group and then they're like wrestling with these big things and you can sort of like sense that something is going on but you're not sure but like now 2024 like I know they made it through I know there's lots of music like I'm like this is a rough patch sweeties we're gonna get through it so it was it was hard to watch them be in pain, but it was like, I know that they get through this and there's like, they get to do their own, like, you know, solo work and they get to express the, themselves in all the sorts of ways. So it was reassuring in that sense. I guess one silver lining I can see is we got Utro Tear out of it. <laughs> uh, and Seesaw. And Seesaw. I was yeah. just going to say, and the right? reference is yeah. that reference is seesaw that's what seesaw is about yeah right right and i guess just i'll just say again you know bless bong pd for putting them before prophets at that moment in time um and letting them be you know figure out what they wanted to do instead of pushing them to the brink of of their own extinction and their own into breakdown or whatever might have happened not too many not too many business leaders would do that no at, at Not, all yeah. especially at this point in time because yeah. at this point in time they really are breaking into the west yeah you know, the big money the billboard, must have been coming in yeah, yeah 
Yeah. Um, like Allison said, we do see some clips from the American Music Awards, which were great because they are so excited. Army is there, like they're literally chanting BTS, and they just can't believe it. But yeah, like to be able to say, I am worried about you in a way that if we don't do something now, it's going to break forever. Before we started recording, Tanya and I were talking about how this is such a great companion to the book um, because we, this is all things we've read about, but to see them on screen, like, again, I'm kind of a visual learner, um, you know, what ha- the next part of this, as and I don't, if memory serves, because I don't remember, but in episode three, I don't know that they go too much into this, but they did in the book. Once they decide to stay together and once they start working on new music and once they renew their contracts, they start speaking up a little bit more. And we get the whole, you know, scene in the book where everyone goes into this, like, listen to this track and everyone's like, we hate it. Like they all go in separately and they're like, nope, this isn't it. This is not going to work. Go back to the drawing board. And they are at a point in their career that they're able to do that. And they're able to say, we want to make this kind of music. We want it to sound like this. We want this, you know, these lyrics, this type of song. So I think that's what's really important. So this struggle and all of this pain really did lead up to something that was better. Um, But like the wise one, Yoongi, just saying like, no one wants to be the bad guy. And Seesaw is such a great song. Like, ah, so good. Okay, does anyone have, any mild spoilers or anything they want to talk about any highlights maybe about your bias maybe about your record whatever anything cutesy you want to add I want to be Jin's best friend like I don't something about Jin in the first two episodes I just feel like he could step off of the BTS train and just like immediately fall into whatever he needs to do with like out any hesitation just like oh and now I'm over here doing this thing and like wouldn't even miss a beat and I know that's not true I know that like there'd be some acclimating um but he's and they all are so grounded not to say that any of them aren't but like I gen like he just blows me away every time I get clips of him in an interview I'm like you Tell me more about you, Jin. <laughs> I, I want everything. He is an like an enigma to me. That's so. I, I really was so struck by him and in the footage of him. I I felt like I got to know him just a little bit better as a fan, even just in this one little short hour of the first two episodes. There were little moments that I hadn't picked up on before. I guess for me, just a couple of small things like little thoughts I was having that I wish I had mentioned earlier. One was like you you had just mentioned in the with the previous question about them having a bigger voice. And something that happened within the last few months was, because uh, I saw this going around on the, the Army newsfeed, <laughs> was how their um, proxy, I think, expired. Uh, and so now they can still be speaking for themselves, uh, potentially, if they want to, um, uh, within the company as shareholders. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And I remember uh, last year sometime, I think, um, when they were floating this idea of using NFTs, which I think they have started doing now for some of the uh, for paid content on Weverse. Didn't Nam June go and give a presentation arguing against that? So, I mean, there's a precedent already, I think, for them taking a leadership role in the business side of things uh, if they want to. I had another just quick follow-up thought about... Um, 
we were talking earlier about the gen the gender uh, dynamic and uh, the the role of women in, in lifting men up in certain circumstances. And it made me think too about there was there's this little uh, like mini documentary that's been dropping on I think Bangtan TV or maybe it's on the Hybe channel on YouTube about the development team at Hybe. Uh, different staff. And, and I was so struck in the first episode by how, how there were all these um, really caring women on the development team for the idol groups uh, and how that must have played a big role in making sure that they were well supported and, and giving them a good foundation. And so shout out to to women again there. Uh, and then finally, um, I think uh, my last thought was just that because okay, like you invited me to talk about my bias. And here I go. <laughs> Quick thing, which is just that um, I always had heard that J-Hope had considered leaving the group and maybe even kind of almost did just for a very short amount of time. And we always hear the story about how Jungkook uh, drew, drew him back in and said, don't leave and how important that was to him and his decision to stay. What I didn't understand is I didn't know why he had been thinking about leaving um, I thought, well, maybe it was because of burnout and stress and, and being overwhelmed on that. But and but he kind of disclosed here in the first couple episodes that it was really more about he was thinking about his long-term career and where it would be better for him to debut, given how the struggles that were going on at Big Hit. Um, and that seems so much more like him. That's That just fits his what we know about him so much better because he's such a planner and he has he's such a visionary that he was concerned and want, just wanting to make sure that that he got his shot because those shots are so rare and you might only get one the entire your entire career in that career in that industry and so he was just thinking and worrying about that and then yet the trust and the belief in the other members was what drew him back so i just felt like i learned a lot more about him and and, and i thought it was a much more consistent story for um for why he was going through that i was really struck by how professional no i shouldn't say how professional okay because the man is professional but like yoongi just like sitting there in a suit just like talking like given the interview of a lifetime i just feel like he opened up so much in this documentary and through all the episodes he's sitting on this couch and like this like the suit his hair is like such a good length right it's like at the best length it could possibly be and he's just so fucking confident and like just riffing. They ask him a question, he just boom, like says it. And I'm like, okay, I knew. I already knew, but like this is amazing. Like he's just so fucking confident in this. Doesn't stutter, no ums, no likes, nothing. Just boom. Oh, it's so good. This is it. He knows. That's a man it's, who's done his work. It's so hot. Oh, God, it's so hot. It's just so, like, damn. Okay. This is why I say he's my guru. In my bias line, He does. he's yeah. not any of the tradition. He's too big for that. He's my guru. For real. <laughs> yeah. Like, the wise one. Like Allison said, he has, done, he has done the work. He has yes. ascended. <laughs> he oh has walked gosh. through the it's, white door. <laughs> it's wild. And I agree with what you guys said about Jen. Jen is so, like, so mature and, like, poised. You know? Like, just boom you know i love it i love that for him because we get you know it's like funny because we do get a lot of goofy gin like on like reels and like tiktoks and stuff we get a lot of video where gin's just being goofy you kind of forget that he's like the oldest member and like you know upstanding citizen my big things that stood out to me one of course because he's my bias but 
just the absolute weight that was like always on Namjoon's shoulders, um, no matter where they were or what they were doing, um, that he was like not only the leader, but kind of the spokesperson, especially when you get the scenes from coming to the U.S. for the award shows. Um, there's a scene in like the limo where he's like, okay, guys, like, don't worry. Let's just have fun. Like, don't stress too much about things. And it's like, he's giving them a pep talk, but I feel like that was more of like a pep talk for him. Like, I'm going to have to carry these interviews right now. Um, Cause it's early on in their careers. You know, a lot of them aren't studying English yet. Um, although we all know Yungi's known English from the very beginning, but you know, that's neither here nor there, but I'm just, you know, when you think about it and how much pressure was on him to kind of carry them through these red carpet interviews, I feel like it was a lot. I loved watching Jin on his phone, finding out that they're trending number one. I thought that was really sweet. He was like, we're trending number one. Like, look at us. And I was like, oh my God, Jin, you're adorable. I think like this is just the best. I don't even know why. Maybe other army knew this. I didn't know this. Did JK wrote the bridge for danger? They're struggling trying to write danger. And then he's just out there riffing with his voice in the courtyard of this like wherever house they're staying and he just starts singing and now i'm just like wait like pull it out a little bit more okay now do this do that and then yungi on the balcony is like that's it that's it that's what we're doing and then he like walks in and writes the rest he's a bona fide genius jk i he does something that kid i don't know I, and he's a there's kid. nobody like him he's literally a kid he was like 15 and he's just like, he's like humming and singing. And then all of a sudden here comes this bridge is like world famous now. Just him. Amazing. I love it. Also shout out to Gus. Who's been here all night. Allison's cat. Love it. I did not expect him to be the one to be like, okay, kids, it's bedtime. <laughs> he was he's like, taking on Shiva's, Shiva's legacy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Also, he is like his namesake and is like, it's time for naps. So this is true. Rest is important, mom. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts? I'm excited for the next episodes. This was the push I needed to watch it. I just, it's been sitting in the, the back burner. And yeah, so I went downstairs this morning and watched the first two episodes. And I was like, okay, time for more of that. Yes. I've, I've watched the whole thing and it's uh it's a journey as they say <laughs> it's, beautiful. it's beautiful i waited too long between episodes so i think i'm gonna have to go back and like rewatch just because mm. i was like devouring really quickly and then i it fell off because i had other things going on and so i think i'm gonna go back and like rewatch just so i'm fresh I got mm-hmm. so much more out of it today watching episodes one and two the second time i picked up on much more yeah, and I think that's what I really love about BTS content is that the more you watch it, the more you like find things. Even the funny things, like you'll like watch something and you're like, oh, I'm watching this because it's my bias. But then the background, like somebody else is doing something else that's equally hysterical or like touching. And then later you're like, okay, watch this, but then watch so and so in the background. Right, and then it's right. like a whole new, it's like a whole new world is opened up. It's so true. <laughs> it's always chaos. So good. <laughs> so good. The really. best kind of chaos. Yes. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, good to see you. Good to Always see you guys, so too. To you. Survive the cold weather. We will. Just and everybody else morning. out there, too. If you're experiencing yeah. this, yeah. hang in there. Be safe. Be safe. Yes. Follow the follow all the uh, announcements. Don't, will do. Don't try to go right. rogue. <laughs>
Don't try Seriously. to go rogue for snacks, Allison. <laughs> oh my gosh. I need some snacks. Like it's, it's very poor planning. I did have wine though. So I was like, you're fine. Myself. You're fine. All is not lost. <laughs> All right, guys. Bore. Bore. Can't get enough of BTS? Cool. Neither can we. So between shows, why don't you hop on over to at Afternoon Army on Instagram and join the conversation. Want to support us as a newer podcast hitting the scene? Share the love by leaving us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. And last, but certainly not least, don't forget to check out the other pod in our network, Afternoon of Delight K-Drama. Deep dives from three romance authors with new episodes every Wednesday.